Good morning, church. How's it going? Man, it is good to see you all. Hey, I want to give you a little bit of information about myself and kind of help you to understand a little bit more about who I am. I, I have what some have called an enthusiastic personality. Uh, I tend to be enthusiastic about a lot of different things. But apparently an elder's wife one time also diagnosed me with ADHD. So I'm enthusiastic with ADHD and I wonder what that meant. I figured it out. It basically means I get excited about things until I'm not excited anymore. And which makes me the perfect person, the most qualified person to talk about New Year's resolutions. Uh, New Year's res, yes. Oh, good question. No. They, they were saying no. <laughs> okay, thank you for, thank you. Um, so, which makes me qualified to talk about New Year's resolutions. It's that, it's that wonderful time of year. When we get gym memberships and buy treadmills and swear that we're going to finish that room remodel and be nicer to our mother-in-law. And, and sometimes I think New Year's resolutions get a bad reputation. And I think the reason why New Year's resolutions get a bad reputation is because if we stop and think about it, it's really kind of our fault. Uh, there are some people that are crazy goal setters. You're going to lose 50 pounds and you're going to cure cancer and you're going to own Pinterest. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You've got willpower. Some of you, on the other hand, wouldn't know goal if it hits you in the face. Your mantra is whatever. There has to be a place somewhere in between. There has to be a place where God's will meets our passions. To where his goals become our goals. Think Psalm 37, verse 4, where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we delight in him, we become to want what he wants. But the question is, how do we get there? It becomes in many ways our version of the model prayer. God's name is hallowed. God's kingdom comes. God's will is done. And in the midst of that being accomplished, the your, your name, your kingdom, your will merges with the our, our daily bread, our sins forgiven. Is goal setting a biblical thing? I think so. God seems to do a lot of goal setting with his people. Noah, build an ark. Abraham, go to the land I will show you. Moses, go to Pharaoh. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Paul, go to the Gentiles. But I think there's a place for what Reggie McNeil would call the divine and human interplay. God using us, working with us to accomplish his purposes in mighty ways. I love what James says in James 4 where he says this. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I don't think James is giving us an excuse to be lazy. 
What I do think he's doing is he's reminding us of God's direction, God's vision, God's purpose for his people as we take the next step. One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible that illustrates this point is found in Exodus chapter 14. Many of you know the story. God's people are trapped. They're at the edge of the Red Sea. On one side, they've got the sea. On the other, they've got the Egyptian army that is advancing. And Moses tells them that they will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring them. And you might have heard this verse before where it says, oops, not there. It's not there. Anyway, um, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's a great verse. It's on Hallmark cards. There's only one problem. God's deliverance depends on his people moving. God tells the people of Israel, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. The Egyptians will know that I am Lord when you get up and move. The more time I spend walking with Jesus, the more I have begun seeing my goals in terms of listening to God's heart. And recognizing how much cooler my resolutions become when they are tied to his will. Losing 20 pounds becomes less about vanity and more about honoring the body that God gave me. So that I will be more effective in serving him. Organizing my life becomes an effective stress reliever and allows me more time to focus on kingdom matters instead of spending all my time saying to myself, oh my goodness, where did I put that thing I can't find? In 586 BC, the king of Babylon defeated Jerusalem and carried many of the people of Judah into exile. 70 years later, in 516 BC, Some of them got to come home with the goal of rebuilding the city. But the project never got finished for a whole lot of reasons. And so another 70 years pass and Jerusalem is still in ruins. It is now 140 years after Israel has gone into captivity and Babylon. And Jerusalem is still in poor shape. That's where our story begins. We have to be honest. Our resolutions don't always turn out like we think they will. How often we find ourselves in March or April, right back where we want them to be in January. Even our goals for God don't always work out like we want them to. I've thought about you guys a lot. I prayed for you guys a lot. In this season of transition, in this time of change, Sometimes it's real easy just to kind of get stuck in this fact that things are just not moving forward like you think they ought to. And when that happens, it's very tempting to stop dreaming. It's very tempting to just step back and say, well, I guess we can't do anything right now. I guess we shouldn't do anything right now. Now, you have to know, there, there's plenty of blame to go around in, in Nehemiah's day. There's plenty of blame to go around for the delay in building the city. Some of, the, some of it was opposition from other people. 
Uh, some of it was a lack of effort on the part of the people who were supposed to be doing the work. But what I want to talk to you today about from God's word is I want to talk about what it means to set God-sized goals. And what that looks like in the life of one guy, particularly the guy named Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, son of Achaiah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. I want to give you four steps today for setting what I believe to be God-sized goals in your life and in the life of this church. And step number one in setting God-sized goals is this. Listen to the right voices. Listen to the right people. You have to remember, Nehemiah has never seen the city of Jerusalem. He's never been there. All he has to go with are the word of those who have been there. And he chooses to listen to his brother. Now, this is important because if you go through Nehemiah, and if we had some time to spend, you would see this played out. Nehemiah has a lot of other voices in his life. And some of those voices, my friends, are not good voices. They're telling him bad things. They're telling him wrong things. There's a couple of guys, Sanballat and Geshem. You'll notice that no one ever names their child Sanballat anymore. And the reason why they don't name him Sanballat anymore is because Sanballat was not exactly the best example of somebody I'd want to name my kid after. These folks threatened Nehemiah's goals and even his life. They tried to distract him from the task of rebuilding the walls of the city. And I love Nehemiah's response. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Nehemiah 6, 3. Nehemiah says, I'm carrying on a great project and can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? But the focus, the conversation that happens in Nehemiah 6, 3 would never happen without the conversation that happens in Nehemiah 1, 3. Nehemiah chose to listen to his brother Hanani, even when what he said was difficult to hear. Even though what they say might be hard, you know that it is worth it because these voices can be trusted. Guys, everything about Nehemiah's life would have been easier if he just didn't do this. Everything about Nehemiah's life would be much easier if he didn't get all the materials and the people together and go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates. It would have been so much easier for him to stay where he was at, doing what he was doing for the rest of his life. He would have been content to do that. Sometimes it is so easy for us to listen to the voices that say, don't do this. I remember when I was in high school, um, I made a decision that I wanted to go to Bible college. And 
I told my parents I was going to go to, to Lincoln Christian University, and I will never forget what my dad said. My dad looked at me and said, you'll be home in a week. And when I went to Lincoln, I was so homesick. I was miserable for the first week. I was horribly miserable. And you know what? Part of me says to myself, if my dad hadn't said that, I might have come home. He's gone now. I can't ask him that question, but something tells me he was, he was skunking me a little bit. I think he was trying to get me to stay. Mission accomplished. Sometimes we listen to the voices. It's just easier, right? Not to take the risk, not to take the chance, not to follow the dream, not to step up and do the big thing. It's just easier. But are we here? Are we here Because it's supposed to be easy? Are we here because we are supposed to dream God-sized dreams? We're supposed to help to accomplish. God has chosen us as partners, as co-heirs with Christ. Co-workers with God himself. That's not me talking, that's scripture talking. We're co-workers with God himself to achieve incredible things. Maybe, just maybe, the voices that we need to be listening to are, are his. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Step two of developing a God-sized dream. Find out what breaks your heart. Let me ask you this. How could it be a God-sized dream if you don't care about it? How can it be a God-sized dream if it does not motivate you? The best dreams often begin with tears. That's what happened with Jesus. Jesus stands outside the city of Jerusalem. We know that he's about to walk into Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. Where he's going to be dead and buried and raised again. But in that moment when he stands over Jerusalem, the text tells us he weeps. And I believe that it's in the weeping that we find our resolve, that we steal our face. That's what the text literally says. The text literally says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And I believe the tears were what motivated him to do that. A New Year's resolution can become a God-sized goal when the failure of this dream to be realized would be heartbreaking. And we need to pay attention to what made Nehemiah weep. Broken walls and broken lives. The biggest miracles in our life as a church happen when the I goal becomes the we goal. It is so easy to become jaded to what is happening around us. To go through the motions of being a church and somehow convincing ourselves that in the motions we are actually doing what defines us as a church. But when we take time to weep together, God speaks in the waiting. Nehemiah mourned and fasted, the text tells us, for some days. In fact, the the text tells us because we know the months. He tells us the months. We know how long he spent. He spent four months weeping before he ever went to the king of Persia to make his request. He spent four months 
in waiting. But there's something that happens in the waiting. There's something that happens in the in-between. Where God reveals himself and God reveals us in a way that we might not understand were it not for the waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Waiting drives me nuts. I cannot stand it. But there's something about, you do realize Whenever we, whenever we pray, there are multiple answers that God can give to prayer in Scripture. God can say yes. God can say no. Those are two obvious ones. But do you realize that neither one of those answers are the number one answer to prayer in Scripture? Do you know what the number one answer to prayer in Scripture is? It's not yes. It's not no. I think you know. Wait. Hang on. Because what I'm about to do is absolutely brilliant. And what do you do? What do you do while you wait? (laughs) I love how Nehemiah answers this question. Look what Nehemiah does. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Step three toward pursuing a God-sized goal, talk to God about it. Spend some time with God. Goal, God-sized goals often begin with a hard truth that things are not how they are supposed to be. That's how Nehemiah's story begins, and that's how Countryside's story begins. Things are not as they are supposed to be, and that truth leads us to tears. And those tears bring us to our knees in prayer to a God who remembers us, who remembers his promise. Nehemiah's prayer begins by stating the obvious, this does not happen without God. It is God who is great and awesome. It is God who keeps his covenant promises. It is God's ear that must be attentive. It is God's eyes that must be open before anything happens. The success of your journey will happen in response to your prayers when God shows up. Remembering is a big deal in Nehemiah. He says it eight times. The first one is in this prayer. He prays, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, that even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, hear that? Even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, remember Nehemiah's prayer, 140 years and the city that was decimated by the Babylonian Empire 140 years before still sits in ruins. They are no better now than they were 140 years ago. How long have you been waiting? But even in the midst of this, what he says? He says, no matter how far away they are, I will gather them from here and I will bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now, I have to be honest. I skipped a verse. We should go back. You need to see this one too. I 
I confess. We've forgotten that word. We don't do it very often, do we? Oh, we confess for other people. Lord, I confess that they're an idiot. We pray for other people all the time, don't we? I confess on behalf of that moron. Look what Nehemiah does. I confess the sins we Israelites, including who? Myself. And my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly against you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You see, Nehemiah doesn't just weep about what's going on out there. And you need to hear this. Nehemiah also weeps about what's going on in here. A great definition of vision is seeing the distance between where things are and where they could be. And the greater the distance, the greater the pain, and the greater the need for the vision of God to bring us home. If you want to make a bigger resolution, a God-sized goal, it will require you to do something bold. Confess that you aren't where you need to be. There are two different kinds of resolutions. Let's call them, just for grins and giggles, let's call them 30-year-old Tracy resolution and 50-year-old Tracy resolution. All right? 30-year-old Tracy would look at the scale after Christmas and say, oh my, I put on a few pounds, didn't I? I make a resolution to get some exercise and cut back on the sugar for a few weeks until my weight is back in line. That's 30-year-old Tracy resolution. Now, this is 50-year-old Tracy resolution. 50-year-old Tracy went to the doctor. He found out that he's pre-diabetic with high cholesterol and high blood pressure and 25 pounds overweight. The 50-year-old Tracy resolution is, shall we say, different than the 30-year-old Tracy resolution. Because if Tracy doesn't start recognizing the seriousness of his health issues, Tracy might not just live long enough to have 60-year-old Tracy resolutions. You know what I'm saying? Hear me on that? You see, there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between, oh, something is a good idea versus if I don't do this, there's a really good chance I'm going to die. Kind of changes our resolution, doesn't it? If we want to achieve a God-sized goal in our life, then maybe it would be good to admit that we have missed the mark. And that's okay. Because we have a God who is awesome. Look at this. I love what John says. He says, if we confess our sins. Hear that? If we confess our sins, he is what? He's what? Faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from any unrighteousness. So we get to pray boldly just like Nehemiah. I love how Nehemiah ends this prayer. They are your servants and your people 
whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I love this last sentence. I'm a partnership development representative at Lincoln Christian University. That's my job title. What that means is I ask for money from people. That's my job. President Green doesn't like it when I describe it so bluntly, but that's what I do. I get people to partner in what's happening at Lincoln Christian University. And I have learned in my time at Lincoln Christian University that I am not an idiot. And when I go to someone, when I sit down with someone and I share the vision of what God is doing in his kingdom work at LCU, and I ask them for a sacrificial gift to help us to achieve that, I know that they will not give me that money based upon my winning personality and good looks. That's not going to happen. I know that the only way that those kind of prayers are going to be answered is if my God says, go. He shows up and it happens. So my prayer, this is on my office door. Whenever I leave my office, this is my prayer. Give your servant success today in the presence of this man. Now, remember how we got to this point. We surround ourselves with excellent people. With amazing voices. To tell you what you need to hear, even when it's hard. You see what is going on around you, and it makes you weep. It brings you to your knees in prayer. You also see what is going on inside of you, and your prayer reflects the confession of your heart and celebrates his forgiveness and his grace and his new mercies. So why not pray boldly? Lord, we have a goal that I trust is yours as well. We see a place on the horizon where we believe you want us to be. So lead the way as we take the next steps in our journey. I love Nehemiah's boldness. Give your servant success today in the presence of this man. Who is this man? He is the king of Persia. Nehemiah is about to go to the king of Persia and ask him for resources and people to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And you have to ask yourself, as you look at this text, you have to ask yourself, who is this guy? Who is this guy to think that he can go to the king of Persia himself and ask? Well, at the very end of Nehemiah chapter 1, he tells us who he is. I was cupbearer to the king. (laughs) My last point, and I'm done. Last step. You want to set God's size goal? You remember who you are. You are not a cupbearer to the king, you are a child. Of the most high. You do not approach. The king of Persia. You approach the king of the universe. You are not a slave. You are a son. You are not a servant. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. Nehemiah was in a trusted position. Put by God in a trusted position. In the presence of the king of Persia. But make no mistake. Nehemiah was at best. Simply expedient to the king. 
He was simply expedient to the king and to his purposes. He was necessary. He was the cup bearer. Whenever someone would bring the king wine, he would drink the wine first. And if he didn't die, then the king drank after. Nehemiah was useful and nothing more. That's not you. Because <laughs> to be quite honest with you, you're not useful. He doesn't need you. He wants you. He loves you. He cherishes you. He treasures you. I love Ephesians 2.10. One of my favorite verses. It says, for we are God's what? We are God's. The word here is poema. You want to write that down and press your friends later. You can. Poema. P-O-I-E-M-A. Poema. It means, it means masterpiece. It means a defining work of art. Do you know who you are? Guys, compared to you, the Mona Lisa is refrigerator art. The Grand Canyon is a sandbox. The Sistine Chapel Graffiti. Psalm 8 says, when I consider the work of your hands, who is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And that is not a statement from the psalmist of confusion, but one of absolute amazement. God, this is who I am. You are more than a cupbearer. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. And there is something about a community of God's people who see the broken world around them, who allow that brokenness to permeate their soul and drive them to their knees in prayer, who recognize the greatness of God and their own brokenness. And who bask in the healing that comes from the confession of sin and the redemption that God brings. There is something about all of this that leads us to pray bold prayers. Jerusalem sat exposed and weak and dilapidated for 140 years. But Nehemiah heard the dream of God. And even in the midst of the waiting, even in the midst of the struggle, he prayed, remember us. And here's the beauty. God does. God remembers you. Even in the land of the in-between. He loves you in the waiting. He loves you in the moments before I think I think back to when they did come back to Jerusalem and they finally began to rebuild and, and they built this they built this little bitty tiny temple. And it said the people gathered together and he said some of the people, the young people were cheering because they're like, yes, we got a temple. Yay. And the older people were weeping because they remember what the temple used to look like. They remember how big it used to be. All the kids are like, I've never seen a temple before. This is awesome. 
And all the old folks are like, man, do you remember the temple we used to have? But even in the midst of the weeping, even in the midst of the celebration, the text tells us you couldn't tell from the crowd who was weeping and who was celebrating. But even in the midst of that, the people are told, even while we wait, even though there are no fruit on the trees, even though there are no crops in the field, our God is faithful. Our God is good. And he will deliver on his promise to us. So countryside, please don't stop dreaming. Let's pray. Lord, it's that time of year again when we make promises to you about the upcoming year. We want things to be different. We want things to be better. Please guide us to make our resolutions with your name, your kingdom, and your will in the forefront. Father, we thank you for faithful brothers and sisters around us. Help us to hear their spirit-filled wisdom through their counsel. Help us to accept the hard truths, even when, especially when, they make us weep. Because your size goals often begin with tears. You remember us, even when we forget you. We come to you to confess that we so often fall short of your heart for us. And yet you forgive so immensely and love so well. And so we accept what your scripture says about us. We bask in our role as children of God. And it is as your children that we come to you today in boldness and in confidence that you will hear us and respond with the power that only you can provide. May our goals in 2020 be first and foremost your goals. Help us to wait on you. And when you show up, may you find us faithful. It is in your life-changing name that we pray. Amen.